witness testify Now I hang back in the shadows I wanna come close I wanna know She sees me shivering here She smiles and with a nod I walk through the mud and straw To the newborn son of God Come, let us adore him He has come down to this barren land Where we live And all I have to give him Is adoration He raises a wrinkled hand Through the dust and the flies Wrapped in rags like we Good morning, everyone. We are glad to see everyone here today. We're going to have you all come in, grab your coffees, and come on in here, and we're going to get our worship service started this morning. Did you have a good week? Uh, yay, got one. <laughs> Anybody else have a good week? Yay, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Oh. It's, it was gorgeous yesterday, a little windy, and it looks like today's going to be another beautiful day, so we're, we're thankful for that and glad that God brought us all here together to worship this morning. So if you would stand with me, we're going to teach you a new song that we're going to be doing this through our Lent season um, to open our services, and um, we're going to teach it to you this morning, and then uh, you'll be ready for next week, all right?
This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift his name. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come and rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in
as we lift his name. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come and rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift God is good all the time. God is good. Would you turn to someone, welcome them here, and tell them God is good. Okay, good to be in God's house today, man. Get those last handshakes, hugs in. Got a few power announcements here before we get back to uh, singing God's praise. You've got a bulletin this morning, I think, in color on white with a connection card in there. A connection card is for prayer requests on one side. Uh, anything else you want to communicate to us on the other, if you're brand new to the church today, we'd love to have an email address or something that we can get back in touch with you, encourage you. So uh, take advantage of all of that. I'm going to ask our ushers, a couple of them, to bring around baskets of alabaster boxes. Uh, alabaster is a twice a year offering us Nazarenes take, 100% of which go to buildings all around the world, hospitals, church buildings, uh, schools, parsonages. And uh, if you take one of those home, stuff bills and checks and loose change in there, and either bring it back next Sunday or save up for September. Uh, but take a box and uh, keep alabaster offering in front of you. While uh, they're passing those out, I've got a couple of grand, uh, well, pictures of grandkids to show off. Three of these girls are in the sanctuary right now. Now, that's a classic Christmas picture, right? That's beautiful. And that would be uh, Craig and Robin Johnson's grandkids. And here's a beautiful picture. These are the Ronks and Galen McMurdy's. Oh, my goodness. I tell you what, you guys have some beautiful grandkids around this church. I think I've shown off eight or ten sets now. Keep them coming. I'll show them off every Sunday morning as you send them to me. 
Today is the first day for the spring season, and it feels a little bit like spring out there today, right? Thank God for that. I hope it holds. Anyway, spring season of small groups start today. They'll begin to meet this week. Sign-ups are back on that table. Uh, you can still sign up today. Do. Everybody ought to be a part of a small group, in my humble opinion. Uh, that's where we get to know each other, share life together, pray for each other, dig into the Word, interact over that Word. So uh, sign up today or just show up uh, at a group this week, and uh, we're just praying for a great uh, small group season. I'm going to invite our board vice chair, Scott Meyer, to come up. He's got a quick pastoral search update, and as he's coming, just know that there's a lot of other good information in that bulletin this morning. Uh, check it out. Uh, keep up with everything that's going on in the life and ministry of our church. Amen. Is this on? Yes. Good. Good morning, Woodland Park Church of the Nazarene. How are you doing today? So I hear when I was gone that you had a picture up there that had something to do with me. No? So I, I, had, I had a... I had another grandbaby. That only makes 14 for us. And I thought we were doing pretty good until I talked to the <laughs> talked to Janine and and uh, they all they only had what? How many you have? 60? Okay, 20, 25. <laughs> but about church business, while I was gone, also um, I, I was. My granddaughter was in uh, the NICU for almost a week, and we certainly want to thank you for praying for her. Mom and, and the baby went home yesterday in the middle of a snowstorm in California. Yeah, I told them they would remember the winter of 23, that's for sure. But uh, while I was gone, the board just keeps working. And we actually have a candidate that we will be talking to next Friday or this coming Friday, because we're in that week, right? Yeah, we're not wasting time. Well, I, I left town, so they're not wasting time. So your board unanimously uh, decided to take a step with one candidate that had been offered by our district superintendent, Dr. Askren, who has been working really hard on our behalf. And we will be having a, a Zoom meeting with that candidate to see whether we take the next step after that, which would be visiting and and talking directly to us back and forth. So that's the good news. Your board's still on your board's still on board and they're still working. Thank you very much. Appreciate Scott and the work of our board. Kelly's going to come and as she comes our kids are going to stand. Where's the flag waving? person today. Oh, she's just waving her hand. Good to have Tracy back with us. Go over there to Miss Tracy down the hall, and you're going to enjoy some uh, kids' church time while we enjoy our time here in this space. God bless you all. Good morning. I want to share with you the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's Amen. pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for what he did for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We thank you that you raised him from the dead so that he could be alive to give us all hope that because he was raised from the dead, we also, those who put their trust in Jesus, will be raised from the dead also. We thank you and we praise you for that. And Lord, I just pray that you will be here in our midst today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your comfort and for your help. Lord, I pray for each and every one that you will just wrap your arms around them and help them and show them how much you love them. Just, Lord, I pray as we worship you today that you will just bless this time. And, Father, I just pray you'll encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord in song. Would you stand as we continue in worship? So, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me.
Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another, so give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another. Yeah. 
Anybody watch the revival at Asbury at all? That generation is seeking Jesus. We need to pray them even more so to his feet. God would continue to lift them up and that the generations before and after will come right alongside them as well. God is good.
so grateful for you, Father. Just the fact that we can come to you and sing your praises, Jesus. Lord, anything that we pour out to you with a pure heart and love, you just absorb us. I'm so thankful for that. You are our Abba, Father. Our Savior, our Messiah. You're Jehovah Rapha. You're our banner, Jehovah Nisi. Lord, I am thankful that we can come to you with any need. We can come to you with anything that we're joyful about, and you will listen to us. You are a loving and caring Father, Lord, and we are just so thankful for that. Lord, we praise you for being in control of all things, for being the one that we can Come and just sit next to and trust that you've got it all under control. Lord, you love us. I'm grateful for the way that you've shown that through your precious son. We take that for granted a lot. So, Lord, I just pray that 
we will recognize what a miracle that is that you've given us. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father, and we love you, Holy Spirit. Please continue to flow in here today. You are welcome in this place. And we want you here. And we need you here. So we thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for answering us, Lord. Thank you for your spirit moving. And Lord, I pray it'll come here and that you will just descend on us, Jesus. And that we will feel you surround us. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Father, we do need you in this season. When we prepare our hearts, we come humbly before you today. Search our hearts, O oh Lord. Know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We come, Father, in humble confession of anything that we may have said or done or thought that we haven't yet confessed to you. God, we ask for your forgiveness claiming your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. We want pure hearts. We want clean hands. We want to serve you and you only, Lord. Search us today. By your grace, uh, change us, Lord, and make us more like Jesus. Pray it in his name. And Lord, we come to you as a thankful people. Thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that Julie, who has suffered so much loss lately, can be here at the altar raising her hands of praise to you. Father, thank you so much for bringing hope into any situation. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for answered prayers. We thank you so much for drawing us together as a church family. We thank you so much for being with our with each and every family, each and every home. We thank you, Lord, for how you are at work in our hearts and in our lives. We just pray that you'll just continue to draw us closer and closer to you and closer to one another. Father, we thank you for our small group leaders that you have raised up. We thank you, Father, for these groups that are beginning this week. Father, we just pray. We just ask that you will be there at work in these groups, Lord. We just pray that you will anoint each one of our leaders to teach your word. We just pray that you'll draw these groups together and may they uh, form just an intimacy, a, a um, connection, Lord, that they can pray for one another and be there for one another and even confess our sins to one another, Father. I just uh, also pray for those who have um, loved ones who are sick or are struggling. I pray for those who have loved ones who do not know you, who are not walking the journey with you. I just pray, Lord, that you will draw them to yourself. And Father, any requests, anything, that, Lord, that we have on our hearts today, we lift them up to you. You invite us to come to you with our needs. You invite us to come to you with our hurts. You even invite us to come to you with our sins, our failings, and to confess those to you and to draw back to you in confession and repentance. We thank you, Lord. You are such a loving and good God, and we thank you. And now as a church family, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. When we pray, we pray coming to God with praise and confession and thanksgiving and our request. All a part of praying. Amen. Well, we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings, and uh, our ushers are going to come now and wait on us for uh, those gifts back to God in thanks for what He's given to us. And my friends up here are going to sing a new song for us, and I hope that it encourages your heart as we prepare our hearts to receive His Word today. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him to all eternity And there will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy. Every prayer we prayed in desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, and in the end we'll see that it was worth it when He returns to wipe away. Stand beside the hill. 
Some of you must know that song already. That's a beauty. We may sing it again before it's all done. Uh, Larry King, I told you a couple weeks ago, likes to tell me before I get up to preach, give him heaven. This morning, uh, Larry, I'm going to give him heaven. Here's my message. Heaven came down. Got those slides there, Brother Scott? Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. A few weeks ago, we tried to imagine the wedding supper of the Lamb. Wasn't that fun? I'd like us to set our minds on things above again today and try to imagine those things above and things to come. Years ago, I read the classic book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody else read that? One of the best books I think I've ever read. One of the seven habits that Stephen Covey recommended was beginning with the end in mind. I think that's a good thing for us believers, followers of Jesus. Before we spend some time in the Gospels in this Lenten season and perhaps beyond, I want us to think about the end. Obviously, we could spend a month of Sundays in the book of Revelation, even the last two chapters. Uh, but this morning, I'd just like to walk down through portions of uh, Revelation 21 and 22 and hit some high points. So Revelation chapter 21, we'll begin at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I'm tempted to say that weddings are all about the bride. 
Here's a picture of my bride on our wedding day, October 19th, 1985. Huh? Hasn't changed a bit. Just a little note about our wedding. I sang to Kelly as she came, well, before she came down the aisle. She was standing back there in the door of that sanctuary, beautiful New England-style uh, church building where she grew up in uh, southeastern PA. Anyway, I was to sing a song to her before she came down the aisle, and the uh, pianist and the organist got confused as to when that song was, and one was not into the other, the other was not into the... Uh, and in our VHS video of that wedding, there's like a 15, 20 second uh, gap, silence. And everyone in the place thought we had a runaway bride, and I'm glad we didn't. A wedding is really about the coming together of a bride and a bridegroom. But the bride certainly has a standout place in a wedding. Always has, and it's true in this vision of the end of the age. The bride is the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Some believe that the new Jerusalem represents God's people more than a place. I would argue that perhaps the evidence is the other direction because of the detailed description of the great city, which we'll get to here in a bit. As a place, Jerusalem was the city where God's name dwelt and the city where God's people came to worship. Still yet today, it's a sacred place now for three world religions. Perhaps a mashup of those two views would work. The new Jerusalem, the Bible says, will come down out of heaven from God. Interesting that in the ancient Greek language, the word for heaven and sky were the same word, uranos. In verse 1, John sees a new heaven and a new earth. I've tended to think John saw a new sky or a new universe and a new earth, that the Greek should be translated sky in verse 1 and heaven, i.e. the realm of God in verse 2. But then I got to thinking about that, perhaps the realm of God will be made new. If you flip back a few chapters in Revelation chapter 12, it says that there was war in heaven. And then I remembered that there was a fall in heaven, just like there was a fall here on earth. And maybe one of these days, God is going to make both heaven and earth new. Regardless, the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven from God into a newly created earth. That truth has captured my heart for a couple of decades now. I like imagining that. Perhaps Maltby Babcock wasn't far off when in that hymn, This is my Father's world, he ended with, Earth and heaven will be one. <laughs> I say glory too, Larry. What a sight. And then John hears a sound. Pick up at verse 3. Sight and sound. <laughs> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy 
and true. And John did exactly that. And 2,000 years later, we're still reading it and preaching from it. Verse 3, there will be a restoration of the fellowship we enjoyed at the beginning of time. Think about that time in the garden before the fall. When God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and I believe Adam and Eve lived in visible fellowship with God. Nothing hindering that, nothing in the way. There will be a restoration of that fellowship, and then some. Here's the good news. At the end of time, there will be no more possibility of a fall, no more possibility of sin, and all the consequences that come with that fall and that sin. Verse 4, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. No more. In Espanol, no mas. Oh, I love that. No mas. That's just incredible. Ever. Ever. And I'll tell you what, the more I go along, the more I look forward to the end of, you know, no more suffering, no more war, no more of that stuff that happens out there and around us. But I'm looking forward to the end of the inner turmoil, the end of fear, the end of anger, the end of despair, the end of uh, temptation, the end of all the, the struggles, the hurt, the, mm, it's going to be a good day. Verse 5 is a reminder that God is into new, always has been. You could be new today and you give your heart and life to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I thought of Isaiah chapter 40. In the midst of Israel's destruction and exile, God says, hey, look, I'm doing a new thing. Can't you perceive it? Lamentations chapter 3, his mercies are new every morning. Ezekiel, the word of the Lord through that prophet, took him out into a valley of dry bones. I got to preach from that text one of these days. That's one of the best stories in the Bible. A bunch of bones all around him. And God asked the prophet Ezekiel, can these bones live? And we know what the answer to that is. And it began to rattle. Where's Patricia? See, I got the moves. And in the end, God is going to make everything new. Everything. And that's not just us human beings that are going to be redeemed and made new. It's all of creation. Go back to verse 1, Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That new heaven and new earth, that's not new news. Isaiah 35, the prophet says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. In his book, Miracles, C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to quote him a few times today, says that our species, rising after its long descent, will drag all nature up with it because in our species, the Lord of nature is now included. In other words, in the fullness of time, the Word, God, the Son, became flesh, died on the cross for our sins, and was raised to life. And in the end, will raise up all those who believe in Him and all of creation with Him. That's glorious. 
Oh man, this is fun preaching today. At verse 6, he said to me, still God the Father on the throne, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 6, it is done. What's done? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. The work that has been going on in this world to save us since Genesis chapter 3. All of those centuries, all of those mighty acts of deliverance, all that God has done to reveal himself to us, to redeem us, will be complete one day. It is done. Still in verse 6, God says, I will drink, I will give to drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. That's grace right there. Amen. Got me to thinking about how great it is to take a cold drink of something on a hot day. In fact, I've been dreaming about hot days for a couple of months here. Oh my goodness, you got to like winter to live in Woodland Park, Colorado. I always think about that cold cream soda in a 12-ounce glass bottle that I knocked back after doing my first daughter's wedding ceremony. It was a, a Warm October day. Oh, can you imagine that? Now, cream soda. I'm, I'm guessing a few of you are thinking of something else. I think you ought to stick with cream soda. It's just my humble opinion. Ginger ale, that would count. We better stop right there. I will give to drink without cost. It's grace. Grace tastes that way. Verse 7. He who overcomes, we are saved by grace, but we're not exempt from trials and troubles and testing. The Apostle Paul said that grace that he experienced was not without effect, and that grace will produce in you the ability to fight the good fight, and there is a fight to be fought, my friends. God gave uh, the children of Israel the promised land, but they had to go in and take it. They had to fight for it. At the end of each of the messages of, to the seven churches in Asia Minor that begins this revelation, every one of them ends with this, to him who overcomes, I will give. How do we overcome? Flip back to that 12th chapter of Revelation again. They triumphed over Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, by grace through faith. Amen. Praise be to his name. There's one sad verse in this whole chapter. It's verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We imagine the wedding supper of the Lamb, remember that a few weeks ago, with glasses raised and toast being made. 
I said not everyone will have a seat at the table. And not everyone will receive a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. To borrow St. Peter's words. The list of willful, unrepentant sinners here in this 8th verse is not exhaustive. And I would suggest that at the final judgment, it will not be their sins that take them to hell. It will be their rejection of the grace of God offered them in Jesus. Pop back up to uh, Revelation 20 at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So how do you reconcile that judged by what they had done and uh, saved by grace through faith? And I think the simplest answer is the answer that the apostle Paul gave us, that our deeds are the outward sign of inward grace accepted. We're thinking about heaven today, but that's only one of two destinations in life. I don't like the idea of hell. Still wrestle with that. I'd be happy if somehow God's love wins in the end and eventually we are refined by that fire and out there somewhere in eternity saved. I'd be happy with that. But that's not what I read in the Scriptures. It's not preaching material. It's popular these days to believe that everybody goes to heaven when they die. Does that even make sense? One of my more memorable memorial services was a service at First Presbyterian in Washington, D.C. for a guy named Bill Parsons, the executive director of the National Holocaust Museum. And he edited several books that chronicled the genocides of the 20th century. I got to thinking about that uh, this morning and... Uh, Imagine the end of the age and God seated on his throne, son at his right hand, and saying, hey, Adolf, come on in. No worries about those seven million Jews. Welcome. Mr. Mussolini, come. Does it even make sense to believe that we all just go to heaven when we die? We say that's not fair and march and protest and even riot when an injustice occurs, but we just want to let everything slide in the end and believe in a God who turns a blind eye to it all? Friends, it's good to remember every once in a while there's a judgment day coming. <laughs> but God doesn't send anyone to hell. No one has to go to hell. God has given us every opportunity to see him to know Him, to turn to Him, to believe in Him, 
to trust Him, to experience His love, to see His beauty, to know His truth. We choose our destination, and God will give us what we choose. And what we choose in life, we will live with in the life to come. That, I believe, is the truth. In regards to hell, I do think we need to lose some of the medieval images of demons and pitchforks and torture chambers. The torment of hell will be separation from the God in whom we live and move and have our being. The God who has pursued us like that beautiful song we've sung today, who loves us. Hell was not intended for us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus' words, Then the Son of Man will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So why hell? I've asked that question. Best answer that I have. Hell is God's plan to forever contain or destroy sin and evil so it never rears its ugly head again. Back to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Even death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Here's a bit of verse from C.S. Lewis's The Pilgrim's Regress. God in his mercy made the fixed pains of hell. That misery might be stayed, God in his mercy made eternal bounds and bade its waves no further swell. God in his mercy made the fixed pains of hell. Verse 9, a tour of the holy city begins. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Whether a literal city, my leaning, or a people, God's people, or a mashup, the bride of the Lamb shone with the glory of God, a reflection of the beauty and holiness and majesty of God. I thought of the early morning uh, sun uh, when it comes uh, shining on Pikes Peak or one of those uh, mountain ranges to the uh, maybe north and west of us that we see while we're on a walk before our little mountain town here gets the sunshine and it just uh, illuminates those distant mountain peaks. And that's uh, got to be something of what that holy city looked like. The holy city had a wall, verse 12. It had a great high wall. And the description continues at verse 17. He, the angel giving the tour, measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits, cubits thick or high. I go with high because that's 200 feet. That's one thick wall. By man's measurement, which the angel was using, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The wall around the holy city had 12 gates, back up to verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, 
and with twelve angels at the gates, and on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. Down at verse 21, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. The wall around the holy city had twelve foundations, verse 14. And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Down at verse 19. The first foundation was jasper, a list of all kinds of precious stones. And When you think about the names of the twelve tribes and the names of the twelve apostles on those gates and on those foundations, that's a testimony to God's redemptive work down through the ages, first through Israel and then through His church. And to think it may be celebrated and remembered through all eternity. The size of the city was enormous. At verse 15, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia, 1,400 miles in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. 1,400 miles. That would almost get me back home to Maryland. Wow. Bottom line, the holy city, the bride of Christ, magnificent, expansive, beautiful, beyond description. And all the images there tell me it's enduring. Verse 22, Revelation 21. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no more night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, you could spend an hour just unpacking that. No more nights. No more shut gates, no night watches, no armed guards, nothing to fear. Leave your doors unlocked forever. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. Here's where you need to to use your God-given ability to imagine this. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing down the middle of that great street, in the middle of that city. And then the tree of life. Think of that. We have not seen the tree of life since Genesis chapter 3. All these pages, all these centuries, these millennia, 
not hurt again of the tree of life. We were barred from that tree, not to return until the end of time. And the tree of life reappears. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I think of all the wars and all the droughts and all the famine and all the disease and all the injustice, all the turmoil and all that effect on us. It will be healing then. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Praise be to His name. Verse 6. Last verse, the angel said to me, and I say to you today, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. That is the word of the Lord, my friend. Thanks be to God. So after the wedding supper of the Lamb, I imagine the next big event is a tour of the holy city. And while on that tour, all of us uh, looking around and looking up and down the streets and talking to each other, throngs of people from every tribe, nation and tongue, old friends and family, and people we've never met before. Walk in the streets of gold. Once again, I imagine a hush falling over the crowd. As down the center of that street in that city, Jesus comes walking. And into the crowd. And you see him? The redeemed making room for the Redeemer, walking down that street, shaking hands, hugging people as he comes, until he gets at a place where he, he stops, where he has a good vantage point uh, of those crowds and the crowds of him. And he smiles. And he looks around and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And here's what I imagine beginning in the, the circle closest to Jesus, everybody begins to bow. <laughs> and there's just this, this holy hush. They begin to bow from that circle out to the to the perimeter, the millions gathered there. And once again, it just all soaks in that, that this is forever. And in that moment especially, we recognize again that it's all because of Him. It's all because of Jesus. Amen? And in that, that holy hush then, in that, that moment of realization and thanksgiving, 
Then I imagine Jesus raising his own nail-scarred hands and in a loud voice saying, Welcome! <laughs> and he begins to laugh. And we look up and see him laughing, and we begin to get up on our feet. And then somewhere in that holy city, music strikes up. The ancient song of souls set free, and we begin to sing and shout and dance and praise God. Huh? It's fun to try to imagine. And that, uh, that cheering and that singing and that shouting begins on the perimeter of that great crowd until it moves right up to the circle around Jesus. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more, standing face to face with him who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. A couple thoughts. We used to hear that some Christians were so heavenly minded that they were of no earthly good. You ever hear that? If that's ever been the case, it's certainly not now. Because I think in general we don't think much about the end. When we don't live in the kind of hope that I'm describing this morning, if we're not set in our hearts and minds on things above, we lose on a couple of different fronts, I think. First of all, it's that hope that helps us persevere. I thought of Hebrews chapter 12. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We have to do the same. And secondly, and perhaps as importantly, that kind of hope that I've described today, that in the end we live forever, that in the end we gain the victory, should motivate us to do good and to show and tell the gospel to those that don't yet know him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that resurrection chapter, the apostle Paul says, if this is all there is, then eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we're just going to die. In a chapter on hope and mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says that if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. He gives examples of everyone from the 12 apostles who turned the Roman Empire on its heels to the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade. He goes on. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Our time in the Gospels in the next few weeks is going to be our opportunity to cast some vision for our church to serve this community in which we find ourselves in. To show and tell the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus with our friends who don't yet know him. We don't kick doors in or cram the gospel down people's throats, but don't we hope and pray for opportunities to share the good news with others, to love our neighbor, to be Christ's hands and feet to those that need him. If that's not happening, 
it makes me wonder if we really believe what we've heard today. Okay, really going to wind down now. Take one last turn. Back worship team, come on back up here. Heaven is a present reality and not just a final destination. You know that, right? It exists today. When Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3 to set our hearts and minds on things above, he reminds us that Christ is seated there at the right hand of God, that God is still on the throne. Note my title. Bring that slide back up, will you? Heaven came down. Past tense for that verb. 2,000 years ago, heaven came down when Jesus was born, when Jesus came. And when 30 years into his life here, he began his public ministry, he told us to repent for the kingdom of heaven was near. You better believe it was near. He taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We prayed that today. We bring the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus showed us how. We're going to look at that in the next few weeks. It is that ministry, that life, that death that we'll remember in this season ahead as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of his resurrection. Jesus brought heaven, and when at the end of that public ministry he was crucified, he made heaven available to everyone who believes. And when we come to believe in that moment of saving faith, here's what I like to think. Our life forever, our eternal life begins right then. In the parables that Jesus told us and in the Gospels and in those New Testament letters and in the Revelation, all indicate that now is the time to decide whether we'll put our hearts, our trust in God. Now is the day of salvation, Paul said. That cold drink of cream soda out of a 12-ounce bottle on a hot day, that can be yours today. Maybe you're here today and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus. Today's the day. Why not? What's holding you back? For the rest of us that have made that commitment, maybe decades ago, what are we praying for these days? Revival, renewal, restoration. Maybe that passion, that deep love, that zeal, that excitement, that joy, that peace that you knew decades ago. You'd like to experience that again. God can give you that cold drink this morning too. Amen. We're going to have a stand. We're going to sing that hymn of heaven again. Just to put an exclamation mark on this uh, message today. Stand with me. These altars are open or God can meet you right where you're standing. And as we sing this beautiful song that celebrates the, the hope that we have. Let's do what God tells us to do today. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Praise be to his name. How I long to breathe the air of heaven. That's right. Where pain is gone and mercy fills the street. Available to everyone. Look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him 
for all eternity. I see everyone there with you. And there will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose The songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, and in the end, we'll see that it was worth it when He returns to wipe away our
That's definitely worth applause, amen. <laughs> hey, as we uh, end our service here, let's uh, take our conversations out to the lobby and the hallways, and especially in this Lenten season, let's uh, create an opportunity for those that may want to linger and pray. Seek a space to do that in the, uh, the wake of the presence of God that we've sensed in this room today, amen. I leave you with the last uh, words of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go in peace.